and welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio, a podcast devoted to examining successful marketing strategies driving new business development at law firms from the largest international firm to the solo attorney. The podcast is a production of Picture More Business, a corporate photography studio with a core focus on the legal industry. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of the Legal Marketing Studio. In this episode, I'm joined by James Shenwick, an attorney with 25 years of experience in personal and business bankruptcy law, workouts, short sales, asset protection planning, and generally helping people and businesses with too much debt. He's here today to talk about the content marketing campaign through which he expanded his practice to help taxi medallion owners who are underwater. Jim, welcome to Legal Marketing Studio. Thank you, Michael. Glad to be here. Now, I want to just start. I always like to start when we have an attorney on, even though we're talking about uh, your marketing processes uh, and this particular marketing campaign, there's no legal advice here for anything. Uh, on the off chance someone thinks it's attorney advertising, you are an attorney, but we're not, we're not pitching your services. We're talking about how you built this particular practice. Correct. So let's start. I just want to just really quickly tell me about your firm and your practice real quick. So my practice areas are personal and business bankruptcy, asset protection planning, short sales, workouts. Generally, I help individuals and businesses with too much debt either through workouts, bankruptcy filings, or negotiated settlements. What do your clients generally look like, uh, either on the personal side or on the business side? So on the personal side, everything from nurses, school teachers, entrepreneurs, doctors, lawyers, investment bankers, stockbrokers. On the business side, it could be a retailer, a manufacturing company, a distribution company, any of the above. I mean, so you've had a practice for 25 years. A couple of years ago, you recognized a new opportunity. You saw that uh, taxi medallion owners uh, under a threat from competition of, of apps like Uber and Lyft and some of these other ride-sharing apps were having issues. They were, they were underwater. Tell me how you recognized that this was a potential opportunity for you and sort of what that means, you know, what the underlying cause was that, that created this, this opportunity. For practice like mine, I have a multi-layered marketing planner approach, specifically with the underwater taxi medallions. And let's be clear, underwater means the loan, which is collateral for the medallion, is greater than the value of the medallion. Approximately a year and a half to two years ago, a colleague showed me a Crane's New York Magazine cover story about taxi medallion owners and that the value of medallions had shrunk from 1.3 million two and a half to three years ago to under $200,000 today. I read the article and a light went off in my head and my gut said that this is a niche or a market where I can provide legal assistance and grow my practice by providing advice and legal advice to this niche area. The issue was, how do I approach the clients or how do the clients find me? I called my paralegal into my office and I said, you know, look at this article. I think this is an interesting target area. And he responded to me, forget it. We're busy. You don't need the work. And I said, okay, close my door. I'm going to take a couple of hours. I want to think about the area and I'm going to write a blog post. You'll edit it and we'll put it on the blog. And that was how this started. 
uh, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like a couple of things. It sounds like it was a, a bit of chance that someone pointed this out to you, but it also sounds like, you know, that those years of experience you had in your practice before this prepared you to see the need for your services in this new venue. I mean, is that fair to say that there was a mixture of chance and preparedness for this? The first point about chance is I believe there are no accidents in life and things happen for a reason. I remember when I was a young man, I walked into a tailor shop and the tailor had a sign on the wall that said, the harder I work, the luckier I get. So I believe that in life with hard work, we create some of the luck. The second point was you're correct. I have an LLM in tax from NYU and to do workouts, you need to know section 108 of the internal revenue code, the tax code. You need to do workouts, short sales. You need to know bankruptcy. The missing piece here was learning about the taxi industry and the TLC regulations. And then putting that all together and creating a marketing plan to bring in that type of work. Well, that was a, that's a perfect segue. You brought us right to where I wanted to go next. So once you recognize that there was this opportunity, you know, the question is, as you said, how do I reach those people and how do they find me when they're looking? Because clearly, if the value of a medallion goes from a million or one and a half million to, you know, 20% of that, that loan is almost certainly either not worth paying or uh, a huge burden, and they're going to need someone. Correct. So what I did, Michael, was a number of things. I'm in general marketing oriented. I believe the only constant in life is change, and I felt that this was an opportunity worth pursuing. So I did three things. When I, I do what I call meet and greet, I have coffee with accountants and lawyers who are good referral sources. I let them know that I was developing a niche rep representing taxi medallion owners. Consistent with that, I began learning about the taxi medallion industry, the economics, and the law regarding taxis. And I also had to learn about Uber, Via, and Lyft. Once I had that knowledge, I did the meet and greet. I let word go out to my sources in my various networks that I was interested in taxi medallion cases. I also send around emails each month. They're called cooler emails. And we did a cooler email on medallions, which reached a significant amount of my referral base. The third thing, and I think the most important looking back on it was that first article that I wrote and that we posted on the blog. Now, this is going to sound like magic, but it's true. We posted the article and two and a half hours later, I got the first call from a client who was interested in a consultation regarding taxi medallions. I met with the client, the client retained me, and then I wrote three more articles because I wanted to generate credibility and I wanted to be optimized for Google search. They were high quality articles written not from a marketing or a legal perspective, but what can we do to help taxi medallion owners with underwater medallions? And I think that was really the key to the growth in the popularity of my blog. I want to come back to that, the tone of the content in a second. Yep. I think that's something that a lot of lawyers forget in their marketing is who is my 
prospective audience and what do they want to read, what is going to resonate for them. But before we go, I, I want to kind of step back to the strategy. You know, you did the first one sort of as a, a test feeler, realizing that it was going to be picked up. It was going to resonate with, with that audience. You wrote, you know, three more, you said, right? Yes. At that point, did you say, I'm going to put together a larger strategic initiative around this. I'm going to do these three and then I'm going to build out the blog from there. Or was it, I'm going to put these three up. We'll see what comes in and then I'll do it. Or did you just build out a strategy from there? I'm a believer in what's called the smell test and the gut test. After I got the first hit, after two and a half hours of posting the article, I said, there's something here, the fish are biting, so to speak. So I've been doing blog posts for 20 to 25 years on tax issues, bankruptcy issues. I said, let me be a little more narrow and write more articles because I thought I had just touched the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. So I intentionally decided to narrow more of the blog posts to taxi medallion issues. Now, when I looked at your blog post, doing a little bit of background research, or, or your blog generally, not just individual posts, uh, it looks like the bulk of the posting there is still taxi medallion issues. Is that fair? As of late, yes, but historically, no. They could be articles on tax or bankruptcy that third parties have written, and I give attribution and credit. Here's a link to something you may find interesting. But what I wanted to do was, as of late, optimize the content for taxi medallions. And let me explain what I did. We started tracking the sale of every taxi medallion. And once a month, I write a post. This sale was a foreclosure sale. It's an outlier. This was an estate sale. It was a death. Here's where I believe the medallion values are. That was one point. Second point, we've had success in a number of cases and guarding attorney-client privilege, I've now written up those representations to indicate what were the facts and what was the result so that many people, potential clients or otherwise, could look at the website and say, this sounds like me. And then the third thing I did was more articles or posts about what are the issues and how to address these issues. So you've still been keeping up content for the rest of your practice areas. It has, you haven't, this hasn't crowded everything out. No, no. Interestingly enough, by the way, through the blog posts and the cooler emails, I've now been retained by investment groups that are interested in buying taxi medallions and I now get calls and ask for quotes or input or advice from writers who are writing articles for national newspapers and magazines regarding taxi medallion and bankruptcy issues. It's interesting that focusing on the needs of the medallion owners would lead, it makes sense to me that, that the press would be interested because you've made yourself an expert in it and you've made yourself easy to find with the content. It's interesting that the other side of it, that the investor groups would be interested. Did you expect that it would be a potential or was that a, a surprise? I hoped. Uh, one could say, I was not sure. The way I get that work are from the targeted emails that go to accountants and bankers. 
and a group would get together and say, we need a lawyer who has taxi medallion expertise. And the account indicated, here's a guy, Shenwick knows this area. So this has worked on all levels for getting to the people you want to get to in this, in this niche. Correct. I know you have the experience writing. Did you ever look at using an outside vendor at all, or you, you wanted to keep this all in-house? I enjoy learning. I enjoy learning new topics and doing research. And I felt that this was something that my paralegal and I could handle incrementally. How much time did you budget or how much, I don't know if it had any monetary cost as well, but I, I assume doing it yourself was primarily a time cost. How much time did you budget for this? Whatever time would have been necessary. I'm a driven person. I like to win. I like to compete. And I made it a priority effectively. Look, we all have demands, personal, family, work-wise. There's free time in the day. I can work remotely. And a lot of this was done at night and on the weekends. A thought pops into my head and I would start writing and my para would edit and we would go from there. In terms of, I mean, I guess that kind of answers the sort of next few questions, but in writing the content, did you, how strategic were you in, in building out a, um, the topics for each post? Did, did you have particular search terms you were targeting or particular scenarios you were targeting with a given post? I mean, the later posts, as you were describing them, it sounds like you were. For the early posts, were you very specific that way? So with respect to various words, not consciously, maybe subconsciously, but in writing the early blog posts, I always thought, and my key was, what would a taxi medallion owner who owns an underwater medallion want to know? And to me, that was clear. How do I deal with this asset or this piece of property that's lost value? Do I do a workout? Do I do a walk away? Do I file bankruptcy? Do I bring in a partner? Do I attempt to do a short sale? And these are all different strategies and theories from my workout bankruptcy practice. And I try to transfer those to the taxi medallion area. When you were posting these and, and building up the, the blog, did you build it all on your existing blog or did you build a, a sp site specifically for it where there were landing pages specifically to draw that traffic? No, one blog. Which makes sense because I assume if you're searching one thing, it's going to, everybody's coming in for some of the search terms are cross practice area. Exactly. Yes, Michael. And are you doing all written content or are you exploring any other mediums? Have you done video or uh, tweeting or anything like that? So interestingly, no, the meet and greet, the cooler emails and the blog posts. My latest initiative is to be quoted in articles regarding taxi medallion or bankruptcy issues. And I've recently had some luck with that as of late, but no tweets, no video at this point. Are you using an outside PR person or are you doing your PR yourself also? All my own. The, here's the interesting secret sauce. I appear to be have created my own Google search optimization really based on content. What my clients now tell me is that when taxi medallion drivers get together and taxi medallion owners either drive the car the taxi, or they lease out the medallion. That's the model here. They talk about me, meaning one will say to the other, 
during a bathroom break or a snack or at the rest stop at the airports. I'm using this guy Shenwick. He's really good. He knows his stuff. Here's his card. Here's his phone number. Look him up on the blog. Another thing that's sort of interesting now is that whereas in my prior practice areas, the bankruptcy workout, my referral base were lawyers and accountants. Now the clients are coming directly from Google. Amazing. Really amazing to sit there. The phone rings and I have a checklist on intake. How did you find me? That's usually the second or third question. Mr. Shenwick, I found you from Google. I found you on the internet. I was at your blog. It's so funny that there's such a clear uh, path from the blog to a new matter. So one thing I would advise your listeners is I have a spreadsheet. I track every referral. I want to know how is that business coming into my office. So I've trained myself to ask the person, how did you find me? Does that collection of data, do you then use that in building new blog posts in terms of creating content that led them to you? No. And I'll talk about the blog content in a couple seconds. I use that spreadsheet to determine how I should spend my marketing time and my marketing dollars. Do I need to go out for coffee, tea more with referral sources? Should I be doing more blog posts? Should I be doing more cooler emails? It's a database for me that I look at periodically regarding my marketing efforts. With respect to the blog posts, I get alerts now on taxi medallion and bankruptcy issues, and I think about what my reader of the blog or potential client would want to hear about, a success story, the value of the medallion, what do economists say is happening, or bankers. For example, one interesting point is that commercial banks, Citicorp, Bank of America, are not providing loans to medallion purchasers. So if a medallion is selling for $175,000 or $180,000 and you want to buy a medallion, how do you get the money together to buy the medallion? So we wrote a post about that. And that, by the way, was of interest to business writers because that's an issue that they have thought about as well. I mean, it sounds like from that kind of topic that you're not targeting only the underwater medallion owners at this point. It's also the investment and the purchase side that this, that this sort of distressed asset becomes a, an opportunity for everybody in a way and that it has certain challenges. And by understanding those and, and, you know, being an expert on all of them from this one particular nexus where they all meet, that it makes you, it creates new opportunities for you. It does. And I'll tell you an interesting story. A woman from Northern Westchester called me and she said, I have a problem. I have a partner. We both own a taxi medallion. Our names are on the loan documents and my partner does not want to agree to extend the loan, which is matured and the bank is threatening to sue both of us. Here, her problem was with her partner, not with the bank, which was willing to do the refinance. She said, I'd like to come in and meet with you because I'd like to retain you to do the workout with my partner. And it's fascinating. In this case, how did she find me? The blog, 
my writing on taxi medallions, but the issue wasn't the bank, it was a partner, and I got another one in yesterday with a similar gist. Additionally, I've also learned a lot about the industry and the economics, and there was an announcement by the Comptroller's Office that New York City, as part of closing a budget, intends to sell 12 or 1,300 more medallions at a price of $780,000. Now, I believe this made the New York Post or a number of newspapers. I read this sort of chuckled because I know what the value of a medallion is. So I wrote a blog post about, and really this was about politics, budgeting, and to who may be concerned, no medallions are going to sell for 780000 And if the city was going to sell twelve or 1300 more, they would diminish the value even further. Earlier, you'd, you'd said uh, change is the only constant. And I think something that you've clearly had a, a practice before this, if at some point this runs its course, you're still going to have a practice unless, you know, maybe it'll last 10 or 20 years and you'll ride it till retirement. I don't know. But, uh, but it is the, the only constant is that things are going to change. To what extent do you keep your, your eye out for changes in your clients' needs in the marketplace that they're operating in and looking for the problems they haven't even seen coming yet? It's a great point, Michael. And I'm always out there looking. For example, this time of year after Christmas and Hanukkah, personal bankruptcy is a busier part of our practice. Chapter 11 filings are down. I used to do a lot of work for the jewelry and the garment center. Many of those companies have closed. We used to do a lot of preference cases, preference litigation, defending the preference. That work has dried up. So to keep busy, and I love what I do, and I have no plans of retiring, I'm always looking for new niches. In fact, my wife had said, you should be looking for another distressed practice area. By the way, there are only 13,999 medallions that have been issued, so the universe is a small one, and these people are in trouble, but it's a limited clientele. Just sort of as a, a close here, I think this is a, a great story, really shows the power that content has, but it really, I mean, at the heart of it, it's not a content story. It's really, I mean, it's really a business development story of seeing a client need and presenting solutions for those clients. I mean, that, at the heart of it, that's what this is. The, the content is just sort of the kicker on it, really, is that, you know, that this very, you know, everyone says content marketing is the future and content marketing is this, this is... But this is like a very clear case where content marketing worked. Yes. And when I talk to colleagues and meet with other attorneys, everyone is always fascinated by the story. Jim, how'd you develop this? Look, no one goes to law school and becomes a taxi medallion lawyer per se. It was, it, it was and it is a niche practice. It is an interesting story from the marketing end, from the content end, and from the internet and from the Google search. So I think you're right, Michael. Is this applicable to other industries? I think absolutely. A number of the pieces came together to make it work. It seems to me that given the, the number of apps that are disrupting various industries, that there are going to be more opportunities like this. So there's a saying, one's per one person's misfortune is another person's fortune. Taxi medallion owners are generally uh, 
newly minted Americans, immigrants, incredibly hardworking people. They're working 60 to 90 hours a week. Their incomes have been diminished by 30% by Uber, Via, and Lyft. The people have diabetes, varicose veins from the lifestyle. I feel personally for these people. They have children. The children have no college debt. They own real estate with no mortgage. These people are savers, not spenders. But through this disruptive force, Uber, Lyft, Via, and technology, their livelihoods and an asset that they thought they would retire on and sell have been disrupted, and that's created an opportunity here. For other attorneys who might come across an opportunity like this uh, related to their, their own practices, you know, what advice do you have for them, you know, one or two points uh, in terms of developing a marketing plan like what you've developed in a way that, you know, maybe it won't work as well as it's worked for you, but how would you approach it if you were going to approach it again? Another good question, and I get asked this question by younger attorneys and other attorneys all the time. I believe that you have to stay with something that's close to your knitting, meaning that I believe the key is to pick an area that you're comfortable with that you can grow into and that's related or not too distant from something that you presently do legally. And I think that's the key. Incremental is how I would describe it, Michael. And then on the con- you know, in terms of developing the marketing, the content, any advice on that front? First of all, whatever you publish or put on a blog or send around in a cooler email has to be of the highest quality. It has to be proofread. It has to be edited. And I think you really need to think about your target audience and what do they want to hear about. Oftentimes, you go online to research a topic, and unfortunately, there are articles that are plain wrong from a legal perspective not well written, not edited. And I think that people can see what's out there that's effective and well written and accurate and what's not. So good content, I think, is king here. And thank you to our listeners who've joined us for this episode. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. The Legal Marketing Studio can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And wherever you find us, please leave a like or a review. Extended content, including photographs and links, can be found on our website, legalmarketing.studio. Note that there's no .com. It is just legalmarketing.studio. The Legal Marketing Studio is a production of Picture More Business, a full-service corporate photography studio focused on the legal industry, based in Brooklyn, New York, and working with clients nationally. More information can be found at picturemorebusiness.com. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening.